0: Well, good morning. It's a little bit better. Still not as good as the elementary age kids, but that's all right. So my name is Justin. I am the family minister here at Windsor Road. And this morning we are continuing our journey through the book of Exodus. And we're continuing our series called Worship. Matters. If you guys have your scriptures, that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 32. If you're looking at the Bibles in front of you, that's on page 72. But we are going to be in Exodus chapter 32 is where we're going to set up camp. Some background knowledge for you to to remember or to know. One, Moses is not here in this scene. All right. Moses is up on Mount Sinai with God having their conversation since chapter 24. All right, now Aaron has been left in charge of the Israelites and is down there leading. Now you're up to speed. You guys ready? Okay, good. You guys don't sound ready, but that's all right. Here we go. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 32. We're going to read most of it, so uh, get comfy. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, "'Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me.' So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him, made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, "'These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt.' When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, "'Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord.' So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel. Who brought you up out of Egypt? I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Verse 11, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God and engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it in the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them in such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. Do you know how prone these people are to evil? They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Yeah, right, Aaron, we see through you. Skipping ahead to verse 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf that Aaron had made. This morning, I want to talk about the dissolve of devotion. I want to talk about the dissolve of devotion. Now, worship has always been a big part of my life. That happens when both your parents graduate with music degrees. Music and ministry, music music composition. Both my parents have these degrees. So we knew that we were going to be enjoying worship and praise all throughout our life. We had a grand piano in our house. Dad would sing. Mom would play. It happened all the time. And we were the family that would actually travel around to different congregations in the Rockford area and perform at their worship nights and and concert nights. And by we, I mean not me. I was like, five. Nothing to offer yet, all right, in the world of music at this point. So up on the stage, we're, we're in this town called Footville, Wisconsin. It's real, okay? I promise there's 800 people that live there. Footville, Wisconsin. All I remember is the big hill road as you drove into town. That was the best part, okay? Hardee's was terrible, okay? It was just it was one of those things. We're at Footville, Wisconsin. Up on the stage are, is my family. My dad singing, mom playing the piano, both of my brothers playing the trumpets. Because like I said, we were that family. Okay? And here's little Justin sitting in the front row next to mom's purse with the questionable butterscotch candies in there with a wrapper sticks to it, but you don't care because you're five and candy tastes good. So I've in, you know, had quite a few candy at this point. And they're up there, they're in the middle of like their second song. They've got like 10 or 30 or whatever it seems like at this point. And I decide it's at that point nobody's watching Justin. Well, let's have some fun with this. There's nobody else in the pew next to me. So I decide to start swimming across the front of the pew. Swimming back and forth. Swing my legs around, push off the end of the pew, and keep going. And I remember, there had to have been people that were sitting in there going, that disrespectful little boy, I can't believe he's doing that. And then there's other people that are like, he's got the Holy Spirit. Let's get him on stage. Let's go. Bring him up. He's got some kind of interpretive dance or something laying on the ground. That was our family. That's what we did. Dad was in charge of, of lots of choirs and choir concerts. He used to direct a thing in Rockford called Splendor and Majesty, which had seven performances in three days. There's was this huge Christmas event for the community to come and be a part of. Mom and Dad have been in ministry for 40-plus for years, leading worship in front of thousands of people. In fact, today at 1 o'clock our time, They are performing at Carnegie Hall in New York City with their church choir. Their choir got invited as a group of choirs to go and perform with this this Christian composer. Such a cool thing. Dad retires in a month. What a way to go out. Worship has always been a big part of my life. Worship is still a part of our life, right? My three kids, they love to sing. They love to perform a karaoke machine. That's fun. Um, You guys didn't get that, Uh, they love to sing and perform. Our oldest is on the on the elementary worship team here at the church, where she she leads she leads motions and sings the songs, so that even kids who can't read can participate in worship. Our middle child loves to sing. She's always performing. She always has a song going on in her mind. Every once in a while, she lets it out and lets us know what what she's listening to. And then our youngest, we got a, we got a picture of her last Sunday worshiping down in the uh, preschool wing. Uh, And this is just amazing. Uh, Watching a young child sing so intently to the one and only Holy God was beautiful. It's just amazing. Worship has always been a big part of my life. And worship has always been a big part of your life too. Whether you follow Jesus or not, worship is a big part of your life. The question becomes, what do we worship You see, as we talk about this dissolve of devotion this morning, this is not just what we see in the story in our scripture, but this is what we see in our story as well. And so this morning, I want to highlight three portions of this story, and I think it'll actually end up highlighting portions of our story as well. But first, I want to go back to the text because there is so much happening in this scripture. There's so much happening. We could preach for a month on this scripture alone And so let me just give you the highlights. Let me give you the headlines here. Moses has been gone for 40 days. We learned that back in chapter 24. Moses is up on the mountain with God for 40 days. The Israelites start to get a little bored, and they decide to literally take matters into their own hands. They come around Aaron, and when it says they, it doesn't mean the whole Israelite clan came around Aaron. It meant the elders These are the men that have been thought of as leaders with the Israelites. Not just now, but back in slavery. These guys have been there. They have gone on this journey. They come around Aaron and they say, you've got to make us a God who goes before us. So Aaron builds an idol out of their personal belongings. Builds an altar so that they may worship this idol. Then it scans back and we find God telling Moses what's going on. God says, I'm going to wipe them out. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm done. I'm going to destroy them. And Moses pleads for them. He pleads for their forgiveness, but then he comes down the mountain to find the exact thing happening that God told him was happening. He sees that same anger burning from inside God in himself now. And he destroys the tablets that God has given him. He goes and destroys the idol, tries to get the Israelites back on track. Then he goes back up to God, starts pleading for the Israelites again. He even offers himself as a sacrifice, and God saves Moses as that sacrifice because the Israelites need a leader. The three portions I want to highlight this morning, this first one is this. A flawed perception will always give us what we don't need. A flawed perception will always give us what we don't need. This is where we have idle development happening. This is where idle development comes into play. Back in verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, so long from coming down the mountain, really? They gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Really, 40 days? These people had just spent 400 years in slavery. were a few months removed from that. And now 40 days seems like a lifetime. It seems unbearable. And while this might seem a little ridiculous to us because we've read the whole story, we tend to do this too. Here's the big idea for the morning. You'll hear it a lot this morning. We will develop idols when our perception overrules the promise of God. We will develop idols when our perception of what's going on overrules the promise of God. And just like the Israelites, we develop idols when we feel like God hasn't answered our prayer. We feel like when God has been absent, when God seems to keep giving that promotion to somebody else, when God hasn't given me a break, when God hasn't provided the way I wanted him to, when God hasn't been looking out for me, when God hasn't done everything on my to-do list. We will develop idols when our perception overrules the promise of God. And the promise of God that we're talking about here is unconditional love. The promise of God is freedom from what holds on to us. The promise of God is a consistent grace. The promise of God is dedication from a personal God. The promise of God is hope, new life, and restoration. You see, our tendency is to let our ever-changing perception... Rule over the never changing promise of God. And before we get too far in, I want to make sure that we have a community understanding of what an idol actually is. And so I found this definition earlier this week. Uh, it's by a guy named Kerry Newhoff. He is a pastor in Toronto, Canada, and uh, he he pastors a church. He's written some books. He's got a leadership podcast. If you're looking for somebody new, he's fantastic. Um, but I, 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 I love Carrie, and he writes this about an idol. An idol is anything that takes our focus and reliance off of God. An idol is anything that takes our focus and reliance off of God. And while we're talking about idols, we should talk about idolatry. Idolatry is building our identity, hope, and value on something smaller than God. And here's, here's the really interesting part. Most idols, not all, but most idols start out as good things from God to be blessings in our life. Most idols start out as good things from God to be blessings in our life. But the problem is, is that we take those good things and we turn them into ultimate things. And then those good things are no longer good things, but they become God things in our lives. Idolatry means that we are looking for salvation and something that can never save us. It means that we are relying on something we were merely supposed to enjoy. It means that we are worshiping something that was never meant to receive praise. C.S. Lewis, he's kind of smart. And so I like this quote because it's short, sweet, and it's true. He said it in a sermon a long time ago. He said, he said we are far too easily pleased. That was it. It's like, that could have been the whole sermon. We are far too easily pleased. He spoke this sermon around the time of World War II. I don't think it could be more true than it is today that we are far too easily pleased. And believe it or not, idolatry, idolatry can exist in the church. If you've been to more than one church, you understand that idolatry can exist in the church, right? We can worship the idols of, uh, uh, of, of uh, strategy and skill, size, stats, the the idolatry of, of more, the idol of progress. You see, because idols grow wherever we feed them. Idols become a personal reality when we excuse God from our journey, when we take him out of the equation and we start to try and solve problems on our own, when we remove the promise of God from our future and look at the false hope of anything else. When we take God out of the picture, the golden calf is really the best we can do. G.K. Chesterton writes, when we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing. We worship anything. Here's the bottom line. You've heard this already because I think we need to hear it some more. We will develop idols when our perception overrules the promise of God. But here's the really interesting thing about this. God is not threatened by our idols. Think about that for a second. God is not threatened by our idols. You see, our idols don't come to to replace God in the rankings of most powerful, most providing, most loving. They're not here to do that. Our idols are here to distract us. They are not here to replace God in the rankings of most powerful, most providing, most loving. So God could not be threatened by our idols. You see, God does not fear the idols we create. He cares about potentially losing his children. A flawed perception will always give us what we don't need. The second thing I want us to, to understand about the scripture is this. Saying yes to an idol means saying no to God. Saying yes to an idol means saying no to God. We've talked about the idol development. Here we're going to start talking a little bit more personal. We're going to talk about the idol devotion. And I love here in Verses 2 through 6, Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Here we see the Israelites move from a simple development of an idol. And I call it a simple development. I think this is here for a reason. I call it a simple development because it only takes one verse for that to happen. And I think that's there to remind us that idol development happens really quickly in our hearts. It doesn't take very long for us to develop an idol. And so they, they move from this simple development of an idol to now a complete devotion to that same idol. This is where worship gets sidetracked. Exodus 19, we get this beautiful picture of God coming down to Mount Sinai. It's beautifully written. It's, it's wonderful. You can see it. If you close your eyes, and you, and you, you can just see this happening. Right, you, you have Moses and Aaron, right? The two leaders, right? You got Moses the main guy, Aaron the talker. Then you got Joshua who's who's being groomed for, for a leadership position. Then you've got the, the Israelite elders there. And then all around the foot of the mountain are the Israelites. And here, here's the picture that they are seeing, right? They see a cloud cover Mount Sinai. Then they see lightning happening as God comes down. They hear they hear thunder as it roars down. They hear a loud trumpet blast as God is coming down to the mountain. The earth trembles. They tremble. They have seen God. And yet their devotion quickly gets sidetracked by something much smaller, less magnificent, and less significant. Why? Because misdirected worship is a sign of a misguided heart. This is a heart issue. When we say yes to an idol and not to God, this is a heart issue. You see, God has brought them out of Egypt. He's given them food and water. He's, he's given them resources and safety. He's given them his undivided attention. He's given them freedom from slavery, but the Israelites have yet to give God their hearts. Oh they say in chapter 24 they say in one loud voice everything the lord has said we will do everything we will do everything the lord has said we will obey but here's the thing when our hearts not in it our steps aren't in it just because we've been freed from what is enslaving us physically doesn't mean we've experienced freedom from what is enslaving our hearts Now, I mention this verse all the time, and you guys that come to church are like, heard it before. Our preteens, they know this verse by heart because I I speak about it all the time downstairs on Wednesday nights. King Solomon writes in Proverbs 4.23, he says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Can you imagine what our world would look like if everybody did that? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart because your heart will drive your decisions. Guard your heart because it will steer your emotions. Guard your heart because your words flow from it. Guard your heart because your thoughts can't always be trusted. Guard your heart because no one else will. John Weiss is the lead pastor at Southland Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky. Some of my family goes there. Uh, He had a sermon a few weeks ago where he said, in the middle of his sermon, he said, there is a big difference between believing in God and belonging to God. And I want to unpack it this way. Believing in God means that we are making room for God in our minds. We're thinking, this is logical. This could happen. There's a being that created everything and that is overall. We think this. Believing in God means that we are making room for God in our minds, but belonging to God means that we are making room for God in our hearts. Misdirected worship is a sign of a misguided heart, and I honestly think that the Israelites simply forgot. I think in this moment where they have developed and devoted themselves to an idol, they forgot what God has done. They forgot what Egypt was like. They forgot what slavery was like. They forgot what God's provision looks like. They're taking, they're taking advantage of what God has already given them. But they not only forgot what God has done, they're also forgetting where God is leading them to. And I think we do this as well. I think we have a tendency to base our worship only on what's been done for us instead of basing our worship on what is being prepared for us as well. You see, when we neglect the future that God has for us, we will constantly look at where God has brought us from, but not necessarily about what God is bringing us through right now, and not necessarily where God is going to bring us through tomorrow. Saying yes to an idol means saying no to God. The third and final thing I want to talk about here is is this. It's not catchy, but it's true. When we're lost, we need someone who knows the way. When we're lost, we need someone who knows the way. We've talked about idle development. We've talked about idle devotion. Here we're talking about idle destruction. Some scripture highlights God changes the way he talks about the Israelites. Did you pick up on that when we read through that at the beginning? Up until this point, the Israelites have been my people, my people, my people. Here, <laughs> corruption happens and God goes, hey, Moses, your people are really messed up. You've got to get down there. Uh, Changes that from my to your really, really quickly. Verse 11 Moses pleads with God to keep the Israelites. Verse 19 Moses comes down the mountain, sees what's happening, and breaks the tablets that the Lord has written on at the foot of the mountain. Moses destroys the idol and tries to get the Israelites back on track. Then he goes back up to speak with God. He says to the Israelites, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Verse 31, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now God, please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Instead of taking him up on his offer, in verse 34, God tells Moses, go and lead these people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. Here is where we see Moses take on a new leadership challenge with the Israelites. You see, he's not just leading them out of Egypt. He's leading them out of sin. We need someone who knows the way. He's leading them out of their flawed perspective. He's leading them away from their sidetracked worship. He's leading them back to the God who rescues, redeems, and restores. You see, the Israelites had started to dissolve their devotion towards God. But Moses comes in to start dissolving their devotion to themselves. Into their idols. And here's the tricky part about us relating to this story. I honestly believe that there's not a lot of us that have completely replaced God with an idol. I really don't think we do that very often, right? If we have this believing part of it down, I don't think we replace God with an idol. But I do think we add things to God. I think we add things to God. I think, I think we start to shape God in a form that fits more along with our style. I think we start to mold God into, into being what works for us. And the worst of it, I, I think we start to piece together scripture and piece together a Savior because we like to feel more comfortable than we like to feel conviction. We start to live in a Jesus and mentality. A mindset that tells us if I worship Jesus, I can add other things to that. I love Jesus and I need Jesus and I want Jesus and Jesus and my status and my success and my wealth. Jesus and my platform and my deepest sin and my regrets. Jesus and my past and my plan and my control. And this may seem harmless because it's become normal. But a divided devotion is not the outcome that God had in mind when He sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. A divided devotion is why God sent Jesus to die for us. He sent Jesus to release us from a devotion to slavery, a devotion to shame, a devotion to who we used to be. He sent Jesus to release us from the bondage of sin, to release us from our misdirected worship to release us from our hearts that are divided. Jesus came so that our sidetracked worship and our divided devotion would become focused worship and surrendered devotion to the one and only Holy God. When we're lost, we need someone who knows the way. So how do we dissolve what we've been devoted to? How do we dissolve what we've given our focus to? How do we dissolve... What has taken our reliance on God away? I think there's three things that we need to do in order to get rid of these idols that are in our lives. The first one is this. We need to name it. We need to name our idols. You need to spend some personal reflection time sitting there combing through your thoughts and through your heart and name your idols. And here's the thing. If you go through your personal reflection time and you can't think of any idols, ask your significant other. I bet they got a list. Maybe not a list, but a different lens. Ask a trusted friend or a trusted family member to help name your idols. James chapter 5, verse 16 talks about the confessing of our sins to one another. Romans 10, verse 9 talks about that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Here's the reason we name our idol is because there is power in confession. There's not shame. There's not weakness. But power in confession. We need to name it. The second thing we need to do to get rid of our idols is we need to interrogate it. We need to ask our idols tough questions. Questions like, when did I first notice this idol? What is actually driving this idol closer to my heart? When did I first notice that this idol held on to my focus? What void is in my life that I think this idol is filling? You see, we interrogate our idols so that we know what they look like when they come back. We have to name it, interrogate it. But the third and most important is that we need to surrender it. We need to surrender our idols. They've held on to us for too long. They've held our attention and our reliance and our focus for far too long. We have to surrender our idols. We have to take them to the foot of the cross. To take them to the feet of Jesus because we're not meant to carry those. I think it's interesting that the foot of the mountain is where the covenant was broken, but the foot of the cross is where the covenant is restored. Surrendering our idols over to Jesus is the only way to destroy them. We cannot save ourselves. We need Jesus to come and save us from ourselves. So what does a surrendered heart look like? I have another picture I want to share. (laughs) This again is my youngest. Um, She has her hands towards heaven. Not caring about what other kids are doing around her. I think a lot of the time, we live our lives with our arms stretched out in front of us, trying to get all that the world has to offer Trying to bring in the best that the world has to offer. But when our arms are out in front, they're not surrendered. A surrendered heart looks like our arms are up in the air. Trying to get all that God has to offer. Trying to get the best that God has for us. Maybe this morning, you need to surrender more than your idols. Maybe you need to surrender your past. Maybe you need to surrender your worship. Maybe you need to surrender your perspective because God's truth is more important than our opinion. Maybe you need to surrender some sin that has overtaken your life. Maybe you need to surrender your heart. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. Maybe you've lived like the Israelites have. Where they say, God, will follow you. But then Monday morning happens and Monday mornings are hard. It's easy to walk around and pretend to be a Christian. It's easy to do that. It becomes more personal when we offer God our hearts. When we surrender everything we have for everything he has. The band's going to come up in a few minutes and they're going to sing a song. And I, I need to tell you a story about this song. Um, and I did not make it through the story for service. So we'll try it again. About a week and a half ago, we were sitting around our dinner table and uh, our middle child's just sitting there kind of picking at her food, which she normally does. Um, and she's sitting there and she's, she's picking at her food. And like I said at the beginning, she kind of has songs that just kind of reverb in her mind over and over and over again. And she sometimes lets them out so that we can hear. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden... We hadn't been listening to any music. Our dinner time is quiet. No phones out or anything like that. And we're sitting around the table and she starts to sing. You're never going to let, never going to let me down. <laughs> See, I did it again. And like it stopped me in my tracks. Like I was like, normally I don't look up from my plate. I'm not one to do that. <laughs> and I said, I said, Where, why are you singing that song? And she goes, well, I heard my sister singing it. got stuck in my head. Wouldn't it be amazing if the fact that God is never going to let us down got stuck in our heads? So the next Sunday, I come to Beth. I find her on a Sunday morning, which if you want to have a conversation with a staff member, Sunday morning, not the time. So I go and find Beth before worship on Sunday morning. And I say to her, I say, hey, Beth, how's it going? She's like, oh, good. And then I come in with my agenda. And I say, hey, are the songs all picked out for next next Sunday? And I could see like the look in her eyes like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> awesome. How many songs you do you want to do? You want to just change everything? Why don't you lead? Work Anyway. She just looked at me with like this, "Uh, great. And I said, there's a song that I think would fit perfectly. My kid was singing it last night. And I just... I wanted to know if we could do that song. She's like, well, what song is it? I was like, I don't have any idea. But here's the chorus. I tried to get through the chorus again. Didn't happen because I'm just an emotional wreck. And so she goes, oh, king of my heart, we're already singing that song next Sunday. There is something significant about a divine appointment, and I think this song is your divine appointment. From the mouth of my six-year-old to my heart, that was already on our set list for today. You guys, in the next few minutes, we're gonna take some time and just worship with a familiar song. A song that we can close our eyes and know the words to. This room is your worship environment. So if you need to come up and you need to worship at the steps, come and do that. If you need to kneel down before God, then you need to do that. If you need to stand on your chair safely... To worship God, we're not trying to practice any trust falls today. You know what I'm saying? That would be bad. So if you need to stand on your chair and worship the Lord, you need to do that. If you need to sit in your chair so that nobody else sees your tears, we need to worship the one and only true God. However you need to worship, you need to do that today.